0: brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bull hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy, happy Monday, everybody. I tell you what, it was an absolute gorgeous weekend here in Iowa. We got to spend a lot of time outside with the family and I got a garden planted. I got my 2017 buck mount back in my house. It's not in its final resting place yet, but it is uh, in the house and I'm looking at it right now. I What else? I had my nephew's baptism and that was a big family event. Uh, Lots of Family, lots of food, um, just a great overall beautiful weather. Oh, and I planted uh, half of my garden. I got half of my garden planted. I still have to plant uh, corn and carrots, but I got, uh, and I have to get some compost. So we're going to do that this week, but I'm a little frustrated. And as I'm, as Men, I'm, you know, I would say somewhere between 95 to 98% of the people who listen to this podcast are men. And as a man, <laughs> uh, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I have to vent somewhere. And this is the perfect place to vent. I have three kids. So alone time with the wife is limited especially when you have a breastfeeding baby and she is up with him parts of the night and you know adults do adult things and tonight I thought that there was gonna be a special moment with me and my wife you know I look over and there is my son staring right at me and right at my wife and so the moment passed, I love my children, but I think I think the moral of the story is that children are cock blockers, and that's really all, that's the end of the story, that's really all I have to say about that. So, <laughs> I've also had about five margaritas tonight, because we had to uh, celebrate Cinco de Mayo one day late, because we were busy on Cinco de Mayo, but anyway... What are we going to talk about today today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named michael fuke and he is going to talk about how he learned to basically become a better scouter a scouter a scouting better scouting anyway he is going to talk about how he learned to identify deer sign and how to set up on that deer sign buck beds terrain other deer sign like rubs and scrapes access routes and uh, he's gonna talk a little bit about how he has found success over the years doing that and that's what today's podcast is about it's really informative it's actually a really good podcast and um, you guys could learn some things from it a thing or two and if you don't learn anything from it it's a really good story so uh, and that's definitely what I like now if you guys in in the past you guys have heard me talk about Deer Lab. And we haven't talked about Deer Lab uh, on this podcast in a while. And they are, they're again, a partner of this podcast. And I am a huge fan of Deer Lab. Uh, so first, what is Deer Lab? It is a place that you can upload all of your trail camera pictures. And what does Deer Lab do? Well, it takes the date and time off of your trail camera picture and it pulls in all this additional data like moon phase wind speed wind direction temperature uh, and a whole bunch of other things and it categorizes everything right so then what you can do is you can use that data you can sort through it click it filter it and do a whole bunch of different things To identify deer movement and forecast that for upcoming seasons so what I do with all of last year's and previous year's trail camera data I can go in and I can say okay I have a trail camera here and historically on the third of November on a northwest wind I see really good deer movement in X stand and it what it does is it allows you to forecast deer movement and set up based off that historical data. So to take it one step further, you can also identify bucks, right? We are you know we all would love to chase a specific one specific deer. And Deer Lab can do that. So you can identify one specific buck and bait and do the same exact thing. So based off of last year's data. You could forecast where this buck has been the past three years, and now that he's mature, and now that he's in your hit list, or you know, you consider him a shooter, you can use that historic data to set up on him and potentially kill him. So, if you guys want to find out more information on Deer Lab, very simple go to DeerLab.com and check out all of the. Information that these guys can give you based off your trail camera pictures. I'm a trail camera freak, so this is just perfect for me. So check it out, deerlab.com. Enough of the BS. Let's get into today's Hunter Profile Scouting, Hunting, Becoming a Better Hunter podcast with Michael Fuke. Three, two, one. All right, Mr. Michael Fuchs, you're On the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast right now, how does that make you feel? That makes me feel great, Dan. (laughs) I appreciate you having me on here today, man. No, man, the appreciation's all over here. I really appreciate you taking time to uh, hop on the podcast. Now, before we get into it, because I feel that this is going to be a really good podcast for everybody to listen to, but before we get into all of it, where do you live? What do you do for a living?
1: Uh, i live here in southern indiana uh right across the river from louisville kentucky and i currently work for reynolds aluminum foil wrap and uh i'm a mechanical engineer there so i'm sure you're familiar with grilling outside on the grill cooking back straps and everything else if if you ever used reynolds wrap it's uh come out of louisville kentucky here and uh i'm a mechanical engineer there so i design the equipment, uh, develop the processes and, and troubleshoot for, for Reynolds.
0: Nice. Nice. Keep you busy. Yep.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. I actually, I was just in Germany last week. We're, uh, buying some, uh, equipment from a company over there. And I know we originally had this podcast scheduled for last Wednesday, but being six hours off of schedule and in another country, I thought we could jump to, uh, this
0: week for it. So, yeah. Real quick question as a side note how was germany was it a fun country
1: oh it was awesome man the, the trip was too quick but i am going back uh going back in august they they had a piece of equipment similar to the one that we're purchasing built there uh so we've got we got to inspect that and come august they'll be working on our actual piece of equipment but yeah germany was awesome man it's uh definitely a lot more laid back than the states here that's uh you don't get the hustle and bustle, the rat race feeling over there. Uh, right. It was a, uh, it was cool though. But yeah, it was a quick trip. We left Monday and got back Thursday night. So nice. I'm looking forward to going back.
0: Cool, cool. I don't know. Does Germany have any animals you can hunt?
1: Yeah, it's funny you ask that because uh, that's always the the number one <laughs> thing on my mind. So yeah, there was some blinds and stuff over there that we were driving through and. They actually, um, they've got a boar problem over there. They've got some big boars and they do have deer. Uh, I didn't personally see any, but, but yeah, they've got animals over there to hunt. I just, uh, haven't had the chance to dive into it too much yet. Maybe the next trip I can, uh, try to find someone to hook me up over there.
0: Have you ever seen those YouTube videos of like, and it always seems like they're from Russia where all of a sudden this gigantic wild boar, pop, and I'm not talking like the down south, like south, southern United States wild boars. I'm talking like the size yeah. of a car wild boar <laughs> pops oh, out. Yeah. And then these like these crazy guys with guns are shooting them dead at like three feet.
1: No, it's nuts, man. Yeah.
0: I don't know. That'd be, yeah, there's that'd some be tough
1: animals. I know that.
0: <laughs> all right. Let's, what do you say we talk about deer hunting? Yes, that sounds great. Okay, now we're going to talk. We're going to use 2014 as a point of reference because you you reached out to me and you said my life, as far as hunting and hunting strategy, changed in 2014. So today I want to talk about pre 2014 post 2014 and then I want to really concentrate on the the what actually changed in your hunting strategy why did it change what drove you to change it and all those questions that are kind of tangled up in there so I think the first place to start we'll just do it in chronological order is we'll talk about pre-2014 so talk to us a little bit about what kind of hunter you were before 2014
1: yeah absolutely dan so yeah i I started deer hunting at a fairly young age uh back when i was you know 13 12 13 years old um my uncle started taking me out uh actually shot my first buck um i was only in the stand for 20 minutes it was opening evening i was 13 uh my dad didn't hunt growing up uh but my mom's side, my grandfather and my uncle did. And, uh, you know, they, they saw me getting ate up with it. And uh, my uncle had got me some camo and hunting VHS and a grunt call. And my mom woke up um, opening day of shotgun season here in Indiana. Um, it was, you know, 2002, 2003 time frame, And I was out and it was 5, 6 a.m. And I was in my full camo watching that deer hunting VHS and she called my uncle immediately and she said, Hey, you've got to take Michael hunting like tonight. (laughs) So, uh, he ended up taking me, taking me out that evening and I shot my first buck 20 minutes in the stand. And I've pretty much been hooked ever since.
0: But, uh, Nice. It's funny how something relatively simple can, can get you fired up and get you addicted. And then, you know, what I love about these kind of Hunter Profile podcasts is, you know, you get to learn about, you know, oh, I was really excited about, you know, when I was a kid and I, and then from there it was, you know, I, I really, it really took off and I love to be hunting, but then there's something that happens after that where yeah. you thought you were f- hardcore. You thought you were fired up. You thought you loved hunting and then something happens and it is, it's just way more intense. And then you're, your that that level is just blows up right you just go you go to a completely different level
1: yeah absolutely i uh you know i just started getting super passionate about it wanting to learn as much and as much as i could uh, but you know uh, i spent the first you know 10 years of my deer hunting um uh, career just hunting you know gun hole as hard as i could um and i never really You know, I tried to learn and think about it as much as I could. I always tried to put myself in the best position I could. And, uh, I killed a lot of good deer, uh, but I, you know, I I hunted the same private farm I had permission to hunt all the way up until 2014, going into that summer, um, I was contacted by the farmer and told that 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 piece of property was going to be leased out and I would no longer be able to hunt there, uh at the time and that was a real heartache for me. It was a hard pill to swallow. Uh the farm I had grown up on my you know, my whole life and uh i had hunted there from the time I was sixteen until I was twenty two years old. Uh yeah, you know, I really had the farm, you know, I thought figured out in my mind I would love to go back there now knowing what I know. But uh, you know, I it got to the point back then where I was you know, I had What I considered my rut spots and funnels, Uh, no real, never really dug deep enough to think about where bucks were bedding, uh, just where they would necessarily travel through when the time was right. Okay. So I found myself, you know, waiting until November, almost waiting until November to hunt because I, I knew those big deer would be moving that time period. And I knew that if I went into my good spots before then it was just going to stink them up. Um, my strategy now is completely different.
0: Right.
1: Um, I, every, Before, um, on, hold, first up. Days,
0: hold up. I don't want to go. Yeah. I don't want to go too fast. Right. Cause we're missing some things here now. Right. For the first 10 years, right. You, I mean, it sounds like you were a majority of a gun hunter, right?
1: Uh, I did. I gun hunted, but, but I bow hunted too. Uh, okay.
0: All right. Know,
1: I, I, I was I was bow hunting. I, you no, know, at the age of fifteen, I got a Pearson Renegade uh, and started hunting with it. Uh, I mean, I whenever I turned sixteen and got, you know, my first truck, I I was out in the woods at any chance I, I could get. Gotcha. Uh, whether it was missing school for opening day or or whatever it took. Gotcha. But no, I yeah I, I always bow hunted.
0: All right. So you've always been a bow hunter. Um, what what, what had bow hunting taught you from when you really well, started bow hunting till the, the 2014 cutoff that we're referencing here? What, what did you learn in the early years as a bow hunter?
1: You know, I think I learned most, uh, and then, you know, all my, all my strategies and, and tactics before 2014, we were they were all centered around that one piece of private farm. That was The only place I hunted, I, I had yet to touch any public land. Um, and what I, I guess what, what bow hunting taught me was, um, to not hunt gun hole, but you know, the same tree necessarily, you know, time after time again, I mean that I had two or three trees on that hundred acres and, and for five or six years, those were the only trees I hunted. Gotcha. Uh, in the past three years, I haven't hunted the same tree more than three times.
0: Okay. So you you kind of you it sounded to me like you're you were in a not necessarily a rut but you were in a routine where you had x number of stands in traditionally good locations and or historically good locations whether it was for the rut or for whatever and you weren't really into maybe bedding or looking at sign or, you know, trails or wind direction, terrain, all that stuff. Is that kind of accurate? Right.
1: Yeah, I would say that's accurate. I was, you know, I I was putting myself in areas where I knew deer traveled. Uh, The one specific area that always stands out, there was three ridges that funneled down to a creek bottom. And, uh, you know, I would sit and I would wait until, you know, the last week of October, the first two weeks of November and start hunting there. And I would hunt that same spot damn near every, you know, every weekend, right. every chance I could get.
0: Uh, same and, access uh, route for all the winds? Same too.
1: access route, yeah. Same access route. You know, I paid attention to the wind somewhat, but uh, it was one of those deals where once the rut kicked in, I knew I could go sit in that tree and see see activity, and, and that was just my comfort zone, you know? Gotcha. So, so and I, I killed some good deer out of that spot, and I, and I can't tell you the number of times I packed a, an all-day pack and sat there from dark to dark. I, there was just numerous times I would go in there and do that.
0: Right. So you were, you were under the impression that you're going to kill a buck because you're putting time in the tree stand. Correct. Not yep. necessarily the right time, but a lot of time
1: yeah i was putting myself in the right place when i thought the right time was and i was just going to wait out it was always going to be a math game to me you know if there's two or three good bucks that are running that ridge or running that area and i put myself in the stand you know the more hours i put myself in that tree the the greater the odds were that buck crossing paths with me And that right. was basically my theory you know and <clears throat> the thing is i didn't have any other options at the time I wasn't going out and finding these public lands that I'd hunt now. Um, so for the month of October, uh, you know, I almost wouldn't even hunt because I was just waiting. I didn't want to go in there and and screw up my spot because I, what I had found is that, you know, there was a few years there where I would go in and start hunting, hunting those good funnels in, in early October and then come, time when deer should have been moving through there they weren't because
0: i'd been you know hunting there too much right right and that's a that's a big thing i mean for a lot of people they they want to they want to kill the big buck you know the quote-unquote mature buck the big buck but they just can't lay off certain areas of the farm until it gets good right Um exactly i know that one year uh, doing you know through trail camera research alone or through uh trail camera intel alone i the the first mature buck and what i'm saying is a mature buck is 4 years old or older the first time right. a mature buck made daylight on my picture on my trail cameras was october 28th so that tells you that's a right. that's almost a, i don't know kentucky you you're from kentucky right
1: yeah, I li- yeah, correct. I, well, I, li- I live here in Southern Indiana, but I'm but I'm blessed to be able to hunt. You know, I hunt Kentucky as a non-resident, but I hunt Kentucky just as much, if not more, than here in Indiana.
0: Okay, so that uh, Kentucky opens up in September, right? Correct. All right, so.
1: Early September. Early yep.
0: September. So, you know, there was a while there where you were probably hunting September and October, and some of these deer weren't even making daylight yet.
1: Right. Well, uh, you know, I moved back home, uh, in 2015 and that, and, uh, that was when I really started hunting Kentucky more okay. when I came back home and, and started hunting this public land. So up until, uh, you know, as we're calling it, the, the pre 2014 era, I was, I was an Indiana okay. hunter only.
0: All right. When does that season start?
1: Indiana season starts uh, uh, October 1st every year.
0: Okay. So, for the most part, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is is that mature bucks really aren't even on their feet in daylight, roughly. You know, there's, there's certain scenarios that will get them up, like a cold front or the very first estrus doe, maybe, that might get them up. But for the most part, you know, a big mature buck is the most patient animal in the world before the rut right so so yeah no doubt yeah so i and i can remember doing that too man i can remember doing that too where i was just you know
1: yeah you're just kind of waiting it out for things to bust wide open uh but you're screwing everything up too
0: at the same time you know like yeah i would go in and i'd hunt these good tree stand locations and i would see good movement but from does and one years one year olds right so yeah, exactly. I'm just screwing yep. it up when all these bucks would come by that same tree stand about two hours after dark.
1: Yep, yeah, right. you're exactly right. Or, or they, you know that they they were already laying in their bed an hour before you got there that morning.
0: Right, absolutely, absolutely. So there there comes a time where everybody wants to learn just a little bit more. I think, um, I think that's what makes good hunters great. Or there's there's a point where people be, are either satisfied with the results that they're having or they want more, even if they're successful or not. They want to they want to be more successful. And that, that's for anything. Right. In, anything in life. So oh, absolutely. What led to you wanting to find out more information? And I'm just going to use the term spread your wings. Before before this change in 2014 happened, what led you to to start thinking about that?
1: Well, I just I always had that competitive edge, you know. I I was the kind of guy every year I wanted to kill the biggest buck, a big deer, you know. And uh, that competitive edge uh, combined with that passion, um, just it did it, it instilled to this day, you know, I I want to learn more and more and more and, and be the best I can be, and I'll never be as good as I want to be, and I think that's what, you know, keeps me pushing to get better and better. But uh I definitely think that competitive edge and uh, and wanting to, you know, kill a big deer year in and year out is
0: what's gotten me to where I'm at now. Who are you competing against? I mean, use the word competition
1: i'd say myself okay more than anything
0: okay. um, because, is it it's like it's like a drive right i mean you're you're driven to every year go out and just i don't know like what what's your goal every year i mean back then before 2014 what was your goal every year did you did you have a hit list or did you have a certain set of bucks or a caliber of buck that you were going after
1: yeah, I mean, I definitely would, you know, put out trail cameras back then, and, and I had, you know, what I would call a hit list then. Uh, in fact, I, I probably used more trail cameras back then than I even do now. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I from the time, and I was, you know, I guess when I was 18, 19, 20, was when I really wanted to start shooting more mature deer. You know, I didn't want to pull the trigger on something, unless it was worth taking to the taxidermist. And, uh, you know, at that point, with that being said, I wanted to kill one every year. So I passed a lot of deer, but I, you know, I wanted to kill a good buck every year. Was there... That's just all...
0: So So then this transition started to happen where you weren't necessarily happy. Was that because of failure on a certain, like, previous seasons? Or was it just... Like you were still killing deer, but you're just like, well, man, I want to kill different deer. I want to kill bigger no, deal.
1: That's a great question because I know um, going into 2014, I was coming off quite a few failures. And, uh, like we talked about before, it was a math game for me back then. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm at 270 hours of stand time and I miss a big buck, you know, to me, that, that just would crush me, uh, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. And at that point you're at the bottom of, as low as it gets. And I wanted more and more opportunities at deer like that. You know, I didn't want to have to sit 270 hours in a stand to get a chance at a 130 inch buck. Right. Um, right. I wanted to, to learn more and more so I could have more and more opportunities because I had failed. And whenever I fail, there's only one way I can get over it and that's go kill, kill another one.
0: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Uh, anybody that hunts and is serious about it knows that feeling you know you miss a big buck and i don't care who you are if you're serious about it the only way to get over it is to go
0: kill another one absolutely so you had so you had a couple failures leading up to this this change right um yeah so let's talk let's start to talk about that now what was it failure specifically or was it a mixture of failure in wanting to kill different or bigger deer that kind of sent you on this search for more information?
1: Well, I was still uh, using the strategies that, that I had before and more rut-focused tactics. Uh, but the, the failures were, were was the fact that I was starting to get good at getting on big deer. Even going in 2014, but I blew some of the opportunities just flat out. You know, I buck fever got the best of me, if you want right. me to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it, you know, I I think 2012 and 2013 both, I missed big deer. And, uh, you know, you, you miss a big deer. <laughs> I was, I missed a big deer on in early November. And up to that point, you know, I'd already put, you know, however many hundred hours of stand time in and then, you, you know, you finally get that chance that you've been waiting for and you blow it. Uh, I, I was frustrated, man. It was, uh, I had a couple missed opportunities and I would look at my wall and think, man, you know, there's some empty spaces there that should have been filled. Right. And I, I was getting good at getting on big deer and I wasn't finishing the job. And my only answer to that was to create more opportunities. And the only way I was going to do that was by learning more.
0: Right. So, when you say getting on big deer, because there's a difference, I feel, about where this conversation is heading and getting on big deer as opposed to your old strategy and getting on big deer. Now, when you say 100%. So, yeah. so, when you say getting on big deer, you're still sitting in your traditional areas. Did that just mean that all of a sudden big deer showed up? on your farm
1: yeah i mean i um well i, I moved up north to start working for honda in uh, 2013 and i did start hunting a piece of public when i first moved up there before i got permission to hunt the private farm that i did up there and um, that was in 2013 and i specifically um you know i i put in a lot of time on this on this certain public area and i I was learning a lot, I was putting in the time, I was scouting and uh I had an opportunity, I had a really good buck, uh, and I missed him, uh, with my bow there. Okay. So, I, uh,
0: so that sounds like you yeah, so it actually sounds like you were starting to do a little more, take active steps I was, to I was before two thousand and fourteen, yeah. right? So
1: I was definitely starting to wanna to venture out and right. um uh, I was living away from home up north and I uh I didn't have any permi I didn't have permission to hunt any private farms yet and there was a piece of public I started hunting up there and I did. I, I learned a lot hunting that public land uh up there. But I I got a I got a good opportunity up there at a good deer and
0: uh and, and I missed them. Right. So you're not necessarily using that blanket coverage anymore. You were actually doing some scouting actively pursuing this deer because the the opposite of that is you're sitting in a tree stand that you've sat in hundreds of hours throughout the the years and you're waiting for a big buck you're not going and looking for a big buck and it sounds like 2013 that move to public ground kind of forced you to to do that
1: it did and uh the, the drive was there to do the right things, but the knowledge wasn't there. So, when I started hunting this public land, I knew I needed to get away from everybody. So, I threw my stand on my back, and I would hike a mile and a half and, and get up on a ridge top after I found some sign and, and sit there, you know. I, I wanted to do the right things. I just didn't know how. Uh, I, was, I was getting in there and going deep, and I knew I needed to get away from people, and, and that's what I was doing. Um, uh, and I, and, but then again, I was still just at the end of the day, aimlessly wandering in, in deep timber, looking at sign, not having an idea uh, of contour of the topographical map. Uh at that time, I didn't even know how to read a topo map. I was just cruising,
0: walking ridges, going deep and finding sign and setting up, you know? Right. So it sounds to me like, you you knew ho- how to identify the the sign, the rubs, the bedding areas, but you didn't know how to put the pieces of the puzzle together.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. I just, my mindset was just different, you know. Right. I wasn't thinking about where this buck's bedded. I was looking at trails and looking at his rubs and, uh, you know, just trying to get in there. And I knew deer traveled the upper third, you know, the trails are always there, but I, I didn't know why, I, but I would you know, walk those trails and find the sign. And if I was deep and found the fresh scrape and some fresh rubs, I'd get up in a tree and, and wait it out and see what happened. Right. But at, at the end of the day, I still didn't have an answer why uh, why that deer or why this
0: buck came by me. You know, where was he bedding at? Where was he going? What was he doing? Right. So, do you feel that you were too focused on the the micro? Meaning, were you too focused on individual placements of scrapes and rubs and bedding areas? Or were you too focused on the big pictures and not enough detail?
1: I'd say the big picture and not enough detail. Um, You know, I I was wanting to do the things that no one else was. And the only thing I was really doing right was going deep and getting away from everybody and, and finding sign and setting up. Gotcha. But understanding why that sign was there and and where it was coming from, I still hadn't reached that level.
0: Gotcha, okay. Let's talk about that big change that happened all right what okay, just walk us through that that change where why you wanted to get this information, where you got this information, and how that information kind of almost like a drug opened your mind up to like start thinking a different way about deer hunting
1: yeah it was definitely a big shift um uh, but yeah i was i was working in honda night shift at the time and uh i started listening to you and mark on the wired to hunt podcast and uh i was on night shift so I, I was you know i'd sit in the office and do office work and throw in the earbuds and uh Uh, episode number 27 um, the title was you know the October lull with the big buck serial killer uh, who I had no idea was at the time but here here I am wanting to learn as much as I can about killing bucks and someone's titled themselves the big buck serial killer I was instantly enthused uh, instantly wanting to turn up the volume a little bit and and see what that podcast had to offer and uh so I started listening to that and I, I think uh you know, Dan Infall. what what attracted me to him the most at first was his confidence. Um, and that, that was the first time I'd ever even heard him speak. But uh, his confidence really intrigued me. And, uh, you know, he, he started talking a language that I just could totally relate to. And, and I started listening, and the stuff he was saying just started making sense to me. Uh, you know, in that podcast, he talks about a mature buck uh you know I'm talking three plus years old is gonna spend ninety to ninety five percent of his daylight life living in his bed and and I heard him say that uh and that that spoke volume to me, that really opened my eyes right there and uh and he went on talking to some of the talking about some of the strategies he used, and you know, I just got to thinking you know. I've been spending all this time in the woods, you know, trying to get on these big deer doing what I thought was the best of my ability. I, I'd really never thought about buck bedding. And then I thought to myself, you know, if a buck that I'm wanting to kill is spending 95% of his daylight life in his bed, that means I've got a 5% opportunity of pitting myself in the ball game to kill him. And it ultimately leaded to the buck bedding being the, the focal point of my, my hunting strategy, uh, and it still is, and, and it, it, it always will be.
0: So, real quick, when you gain information, when people gain information, they, they have to know how to use it, right? Because Dan Infault starts showing you and talking to you about his properties. He shows you examples of his properties but you still have to translate that. You have to take away those principles and you have to translate that into your property. Right. So how how did you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So 2014, um, at the time it, it was, it was mid October when I heard that podcast and I had gained access. I was hunting a private farm in central Indiana up there by where I worked at. And, uh, it was. It's a phenomenal farm. Uh, we had trail camera pictures. We had a hit list of just numerous good bucks. Um, and, and like like I said, it was mid October when I heard that podcast. I, I was already having a good season. I was seeing a lot of deer, just not putting myself in position to kill those big bucks. And uh, you know, I, as I listened to that podcast and I started listening more and more to Dan. Um, I found myself implementing those strategies on that on that farm, and uh, that ultimately ended up th- the result. Of that was me killing what my biggest buck to date is um, right now and still to this day uh, on November 28th of that year, 2014, on that farm.
0: Okay. So uh, what, walk us through that. I mean, what were you – was this a run-and-gun setup where you were – you walked into the timber with a stand on your back looking for sign and sat up on it, or did you have any historical data, uh, to go on?
1: Uh, I had historical data, uh, but it was a 100%, um, uh, what you and I call, you know, running gun, a mobile setup, scouting and hunting. Um, uh, and, and this particular buck, uh, we called the daylight buck because in late summer and even going into early October, um, uh, we were getting trail camera pictures of him and he would just randomly show up in this bean field, uh, you know, before dark on just certain sporadic days. And, uh, none of us had a clue why he was doing that. Me and my buddy that were hunting there at the time. Uh, and since i you know, killed that buck and have learned what I learned, I, there was a big north facing slope ridge right above that bean field on the back side. So, what that buck was doing, and what I found out is, and I went back and looked at every trail camera picture we had of him during daylight hours when we deemed him the daylight buck, and on every single one of those days, there was a wind out of the south. And that wind out of the south fit him on that north facing slope right above those beans, and he would just travel right down that ridge and eat on those beans, and that's what put him in front of that camera during daylight hours. And at the time, I had no clue. that's why he was there.
0: Right. Okay. So, Uh, you used terrain, you used wind direction. Um, How did your, how did your access route, after you kind of got this information, was it, was it more of an aha moment, or was it more of a, okay, once you're in there, you slowly start to realize and understand?
1: uh, Well, I, What I, what I just told you, I didn't even understand or learn until, uh, after I'd already killed that deer. And that was in, uh, I killed him November 28th of that year. Um, but I, we tried, we obviously were hunting that, hunting that deer and some others, uh, at the time, but we were just going in and, and basically practicing the same strategies that I always had before. Okay. All right. And, uh that, but, uh, you know, I started listening to Dan more and more and, you know, the buck bedding on private versus public farms is completely different. And, uh, I say that the number one important thing for a buck, mature buck to bed is going to be seclusion. He's not, he's going to bed somewhere where he feels safe and secluded. And on that particular farm there was pressure all around and it was heavily, heavily pressured. And I knew that I needed to get away from that pressure to get on this buck. So it was a matter of starting from where i had seen him there in early October and where we had the pictures of him and basically tracing his sign from there back to where I ultimately killed him. And that was just by following fresh hot sign and going in when the time was right you know, based off the wind. Right. And, and, you know, two months later, I ended up back in his bedroom with him with the right conditions and, and I killed him. Wow. And, and that was, you know, half a mile from, from where that trail camera
0: was. Right. Right. So you used so, a little bit of that, right? I mean, it's, right. cause you said you didn't necessarily realize it until after you killed this deer. Right, so, so, do you feel that there was, along with some of the principles that you used, do you think there was a little bit of luck involved with that setup initially?
1: Uh, yes and no. You know, at the time, I still didn't know how to read a topo map. I still didn't understand that uh, a mature buck in hill country is going to bed on that leeward ridge side. Um, all I really knew is that um, I needed to follow or trace his sign back into an area where he felt safe and secluded and uh and that's really what i ended up doing to, to kill that deer um but like i said you know on on a private farm like that you know I, i've seen bucks bed in some crazy places and it's just because they feel safe yeah uh, and secluded and it can be totally different than that Uh, You know, on public land, when I'm two miles deep on a ridge, there's a a textbook buck bed that I'm following the script on right now. And you don't always find that on private because that, you know, that that point, that south-facing point two miles deep might have someone's ladder stand right on it. And and that four- or
0: five-year-old buck's not going to bed there. Right. Absolutely. So for years, I would go in, you know, like – there there was times where i didn't know what i was doing if i had killed if i killed a buck it was from from luck right i'd go and set up on sign i i didn't understand i wasn't understanding why i was successful or why i was failing just that i was successful or i was failing it wasn't until you know years later where i started to to understand so that next year 2015 right you were successful again right right right, right. Yeah. so so well, was,
1: 2014, I had in 2014. Um, well, I killed my state buck there on November 28th, and then I got drawn for a public land hunt um, two weeks after that, and, and I killed a, a good ten pointer there in 2014 as well with a uh, with a, with the draw tag okay. on
0: public land. So, on that second buck, was it like? Was it starting to, to get easier for you? Was it easier for you on that second buck? To go in find, uh, find the location and 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 start really being a fluid hunter
1: i yeah, uh, yeah, I think that second buck I killed, you know I don't know if have you ever hunted a draw hunt like that uh, no, I have not I don't know if you all have no, okay, well, this is just a it is a military refuge draw hunt, so uh, it can kind of be luck, but i I put myself in a really deep area based off some some aerial scouting on a map and I ended up connecting on that deer but uh, more than anything it just kept that confidence and that drive. I was on a hot streak now, you know. I I killed that buck there on the private farm up north and came back home on a draw hunt and killed one and at that point the the ball was just rolling.
0: Right. Okay. So year 1, like for me, I've killed I've had my first ever back-to-back seasons, right? My first ever uh, harvest where I've killed two deer two years in a row, right? First time ever for me. I've done. Oh, yeah, I know that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, those are two awesome deer too, man.
0: So, yeah, and it's because I've started to understand, you know, in the past I've either like dedicated a season to a friend or I've uh, passed bucks and, and just waited on deer that never did show up or I screwed up right I similar to you had some buck right. fever I feel right. like for me this season was good although I killed a immature buck with a big antlers right I, I made a mistake a good deer yeah. yeah I made a mistake on judging the age class of this buck however I feel like I really got I'm really starting now to get the hang of walking onto a property, identifying the best possible tree stand locations and setting up and waiting or, you know, putting myself right. in the right position. In 2015, after you've had these two successful hunts, were, did, yeah. was your confidence a little h- higher going into that, that season?
1: Yeah, my confidence was higher and, uh, you know, along with my confidence being higher, I was still... Um, soaking up everything I could um, from listening to Dan and and following the hunting beast there. So, but yeah, my, my confidence was high and on top of my confidence being high, I, I was getting more of a drive to keep learning and learning. And the, the buck bedding strategy had completely consumed me uh, to the fullest degree.
0: Okay. So why don't you regurgitate some of that information? Because I want you to share with the listeners some of the biggest points, I guess the biggest strategy helpers for you that you took away from, let's say Dan Infault or some of the other places that you got content from.
1: Yeah. uh, Like I said, I hunt uh, primarily all hill country. Uh, So learning the the betting strategies that, that Dan had taught me, And I've never personally met Dan, but I've sent him plenty of messages back and forth. And, uh, you know, I could message him right now and and get a response. Uh, So that's been nice. But, yeah, as far as the betting strategies go and applying it to Hill Country, uh, if I could give anybody the best piece of advice, the first thing is, you know, you got to learn how to read a topographical map. Uh, I use Onyx now, which is great because it will overlay your contour lines, that topo map over the aerial, whereas before I would be on my phone and be on hill map or, uh, you know, the DNR site, just constantly going back and forth from site to site. But you got to learn how to, how to read a topo map uh, for sure. What are you and, and looking right now, for
0: specifically on a topographic map?
1: I'm looking for points, uh, points and ridges uh, off primarily off the beaten path um now indiana and kentucky i hunt all public land right now uh, primarily all public land and uh indiana and kentucky lay out kind of different in terms of public land kentucky's got a ton of wma properties uh you know where they manage them and they plant food right and uh you know that's great and all uh but you know, most of your hunters are going to pound those those food sources, and, and it's good to uh, it's good that they do all that and offer that. But uh, you know, I I use those food sources primarily for gathering data. If anything, you know, the the big deer end up making it to those. But um, I'm not the guy sitting right on the edge of that field uh, waiting on him to get there. I, I'm the guy that's going to follow the sign and and have the topo map in my hand and and get three quarters of a mile, a mile away from that field and hunt right outside his bedroom and kill him there. Gotcha. So, uh, whereas Indiana, Indiana has got thousands upon thousands acres of forestry property and they don't necessarily have any WMAs where they're planting these food sources. But I take advantage of a lot of this forestry ground, button up to private agriculture, uh, Specifically, large private agricultural farms, uh, and in Indiana you can shine uh, shine deer as well. So I, you know, my summer months I'm constantly glassing fields or shining. You know, I'm trying to find these big deer, and when I find a big deer, the first thing I'm going to do is pull up a mat, right, and 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 start start picking it apart as far as where he's going to
0: be bedding at, right, which is which is something I think that a lot of people don't do because they don't know the rule. In Iowa, unless this is the last time I checked, I think it is still legal to shine at night as long as you're not shining a light within a certain uh, distance of a house or a, a, a building or whatever. I think that's the rule. But I have located a lot of deer doing that. Now, getting on the property is a whole different story, but locating them, right saying okay well this buck is in this area let's look at the big picture and see you know potential betting areas travel corridors pinch points and then go from there right is that is is that something that you've done as well
1: yeah absolutely um yeah i mean just there, well if it's, it's just all right i'll go back to 2015 yeah. um a buck i killed in kentucky um And I think that was when things really started kicking in for me as far as reading these maps and putting a stand on my back and following the sign, following the maps and and ending up, you know, really honing in on that, on that bullseye being, being the buck bed. Uh, So yeah, if that's all right, I'll, I'll share that story. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So 2015, um, I was hunting Kentucky and my, my goal was to kill a buck in velvet. Uh, and I was glassing a particular food source. It was some really secluded beans and, uh, I had some good bucks in there and, and uh, I got set, I, I set up a stand and, uh, I got a chance at one of those deer on that public land and I mi- and I missed them. Uh, that, Again, that, that fueled that fire and that drive for me to keep learning and learning. Uh, I'd, I'd glassed and, and had inventory on some good deer coming to that food source, you know, I, and I knew the general direction they were coming from, and I started studying the map and wanting to learn more and more. And uh, I realized that, you know, three quarters of a mile north of that field, there's a big south-facing slope. Just your picture perfect um, south facing ridge uh, southwest facing point on the end of that just a big long ridge and uh you know i started studying everything dan talks about and, and uh and realizing you know that those deer were, were bedding you know on that on that south facing slope with the north wind so they're going to lay there with the wind at their back and watching everything there in front of them every single time and in the past three years, I, I can't count the number of mature buck beds I've, I've found, and I've actually gone and, and laid in, and I have yet to find a buck bed where he's on a core buck bed where he's not laying with the wind at his back, watching down a ridge like that in that hill country. That style of hunting. Uh, so I started applying those tactics, and and I went in there, and uh, you know, with my stand on my back. I hunted once or twice pushing the envelope pushing the envelope had some good observations and then um, on november 7th 2015 i got in there uh i hunted all day and i really just sat in the morning i just sat right next to the parking lot Uh, i just wanted to be there i just felt that was the day the conditions were perfect the wind was out of the north uh for that evening and i I really just wanted to be there, have my truck truck there just to kind of make a stance that you know, I was hunting the area. But, uh, I ended up going in there that evening and, uh, you know, I, had, I started dropping milkweed in 2015, I guess it would have been. So, I, you know, I don't go anywhere without milkweed now, uh, but, you know, dropping my milkweed. I had that wind out of the North on that South facing slope. And, um, uh, I pushed it and pushed it and pushed it till so I got, you know, right outside of that. I was probably, you know, a hundred yards off that point that South, Southwest facing point, And that wind's coming out of the North, Northeast. And, uh, you know, I, he, that buck read the script. He, I could hear him actually get up out of his bed, you know, 45 minutes before dark. And he came down, you know, 30 yards and I, and I killed him right there that night. Wow! But, uh, but since then, it's uh, you know, it, these big deer in this deep, deep hill country, it's it's like a t- reading a textbook. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm finding the beds consist consistently over and over again in the same areas.
0: Right. So you're you're telling me now that you feel confident enough you can look at a topo map, right? Now let's let's take away the image yeah. the imagery on it and so it's just topographic right. lines you can look at that and you can say i bet you you're going to find deer sign right here
1: all day every day yeah. i it's a, i spend 40 hours a week looking at in fact if you said you know mike you have a you can choose this topo map or an aerial map I'm going to take the topo map all day. I might end up on top of someone's house somewhere, but by (laughs) damn, I'm going to eventually find that buck bed.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. I like that.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah, man. But I. Yeah, I, I live and die on the on on the topo maps for sure.
0: Right. So. Since then. Have you, have you, I know it sounds like you're starting to refine that, you know, you're refining your strategy, you've continued to refine it, learn, continuous learning. Has there been any setbacks from 2014 to this past year where, you know, just when you started getting confident and learning something, you had to take a step back and go either maybe overconfidence or it it wasn't. Like you thought it was, so you had to take a step back, reevaluate, and then dive in again? Uh
1: I can't think of any specific examples. Uh it it seems the strategies I'm applying just keep building, building and building right. and my confidence keeps growing, honestly. Gotcha. Um I can't say I've had any setbacks. Um uh, you know, I I missed that buck in two thousand fifteen, that velvet one. And uh, knock on wood, I, I haven't missed one since then.
0: And uh, I've killed,
1: I don't know, five or six bucks since then. Nice. Oh, I'm sure.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, so... But, yeah, in uh, 2000, go ahead.
0: No, go. you go ahead.
1: Yeah, in 2016, I... Uh, I killed a buck in velvet in Kentucky on public land, and it was a, a target buck. The, the you know, early season strategy is so different. Uh, those first That first week or two of September, uh, when those bucks haven't transitioned back to their core areas yet, their bedding's still centered around that summer feeding pattern. Uh, the hunting strategy is completely different. Uh, and it's all about the food at that point you you know in kentucky you get a crack at that early september animal and uh i was hunting this particular area and i'd got in with uh one of the one of the wildlife managers there and i and i I told him you know if you if you know of any really deep secluded um, food sources you know let me know and i i had been i had been scouting some certain areas and I was seeing good deer, I was glassing good deer, but nothing really passed the the mile a mile marker uh deep enough where I really felt safe that I would get a crack at him uh that opening week and it was just meant to be cuz it was, you know, early August and I get a phone call and it was that the gentleman that and he said, "Hey, you know, we just had a farmer donate a truckload of soybeans and this particular field's the only one we have left to plant. It's about, you know, a two mile walk. And uh I ended up meeting up with him and locating that that field and uh and they planted that field and those beans and I hung a camera up there and I didn't have one buck on that trail camera um uh, going into opening day of of season there. And I'd actually glassed that field twice. And I saw some deer, but nothing that I wanted to pursue. Uh, Going into that opening evening of Kentucky season, I'd scouted some really good bucks around that area. Uh, And I just, something kept telling me, you know, that pressure, because guys were already starting to hunt, guys were already starting to scout, and getting there in hang stands, and the back of my mind just kept telling me, Michael, you need to be on that, that deep food source, those bucks. These deer are going to end up there. You know, They're going to find that food. And that opening evening in 2016, I, I committed to hunting that that food source, and I saw more deer than I could count that evening, and right before dark, the bucks that I ended up killing walked right underneath my stand, and it was too dark to shoot, um, but I'm certain it was him. So, I, and I went in there the next evening, and I I did hunt the same tree the following evening, and it was more. I considered that more of an observation sit at that point. Uh, I felt that there was going to be some good deer getting pushed back that field, and uh, and and it proved to be correct. That evening, I saw a uh, five five bucks that I would have shot five shooters.
0: Wow,
1: uh, mature deer in my book on public land is at the time was was three years old and older. Uh, so yeah, I saw five shooters that evening on that field. And so I went from, you know, two weeks of trail of a trail camera, hanging there multiple observation or glassing trips to, and not having any good deer to, you know, a handful of, of target bucks on that field. The, uh, <clears throat> I was off work that Monday and I knew I needed to make a shift to to get, put myself in the area, in the spot, to, to kill that buck, to have a chance at one of those deer. And I went in there that Monday morning. I was off work. It was uh, Labor Day, I guess. And uh, I went in there and just looked, and it was just real thick. There was a few trees, but nothing I could get my climber in. I was still hunting with a climber at the time. Um so I I had bought a, a hang on and sticks then and I knew I was gonna need to use them to get to where I needed to be to, to kill that deer. Where whereas in the past I always had a climber on my back and finding the right tree to get in, my <laughs> instead of putting myself where I needed to be, you know, I I would I would just go to a tree I thought I could be in. I'm sure you can relate to that. Right. But uh, um you know you you go in like that and i don't know do you hunt out of a climber at all or no nope. had you ever before
0: i've never well i've hunted out of a climber a couple times but only out of uh from now it's just the standing sticks
1: i see yeah i mean now i use the standing sticks quite a bit um but yeah i mean i hunt some mature temper and i've always looked for you know a tree that i climb with a climber but i i ended up you know, practicing with my hang on that whole week. And I took off work that Friday and I started following the moon around that time as well. And, uh, I started following the moon guide and I was real big on glass and deer and seeing an increase in activity during, um, they call it the red moon, but in reality, all it really is is when that overhead moon strikes that last hour is what I'll call it, the last hour, 30 minutes of light, you know, so when you're expecting to see the most deer activity that in combination with that overhead moon is what they call the red moon. And I was at the time, I was taking good notes and I have a ton of data supporting an increase in deer movement and mature buck movement. Um, when that overhead moon strikes, during that last hour or so of light. So the wind was going to be perfect for that Friday. The overhead moon was going to be great. And uh, I practiced with that stand and stick set that whole week. And I took off work that full day Friday. And, yeah, I hiked in there at like 1130 noon. Um, You know, I knew I was within 100, 200 yards where this buck was bedded at. Where he had come out before, I had a wind out of the east, the same exact wind as I had that Sunday when he came through there. And I took two hours to get that stand hung. But I got up there, and, you know, he read the script. The last half an hour light, he came out just like he did
0: the first night I saw him,
1: and and I shot him right there.
0: Wow. You're on a roll, my man. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, I, yeah, I'm I, hoping of all the of all the information that you've kind of shared with us and, and the stories that you shared with us to support you know this change in hunting strategy, if you could take that advice, just get one piece of advice out there to the people who are listening right now. What piece of advice would that be? Yeah.
1: Well, the first piece of advice is. You know, if you want to kill a big deer, you got to hunt where they are. And uh, if you want to hunt where they are, and then you take it the next step, you know. If a mature buck's going to spend 95% of his daylight life in that bed, sign the bed. And if you're hunting hill country like I do, start learning how to read a topo map and start studying buck bedding behaviors. And, you know, once you find where that buck's bedding at, and you know why he's bedding there. You know why he's on that leeward slope with the wind at his back, looking down the ridge. Uh, you know, go in and hunt him when the time's right and and don't give up.
0: That's good advice, my man. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and, and share your story and share some of the strategies that you've learned and, and how to, I guess, change Right, changing your ways, yeah, educating yourself to become a better, more successful hunter. I really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me, Dan. I appreciate it.
0: And that brings Monday's podcast to an end. Thank you guys for tuning in, and thank you to Michael for taking time to hop on and chat with us big thanks big thanks huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast deer lab lone wolf ozonix wasp and exodus trail cameras and ripcord arrow rests thank you 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 man i don't i don't really have too much to say i'm just excited you know it's weird but i'm excited to see how my garden turns out this year because i've done a couple things different but that's beside the point Be sure to check out all of the content on the new Sportsman's Nation blog. We're going to have a ton of content, not only written, but we're going to have some vlogs dropping as well. So some video content, some written content, and on top of that, we still have the podcast. So uh, just tons more great, creative, unique content coming to you, the listener, a bunch of badasses so thank you very much be sure to check out not only the Nine Finger Chronicle and all Chronicles god I can't even talk but also check out all the other podcasts that are on the Sportsman's Nation podcast network and social media of course YouTube or YouTube YouTube facebook this is a horrible outro i should just i'm just gonna quit it right now go to itunes leave a review if you're gonna be in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good week